Project Green with Bobby Kerr. With thanks to ESB Networks, connecting you to a clean electric future. ESBnetworks.ie. Now, this is Project Green with Bobby Kerr. We're continuing to explore sustainability within businesses and discussing the steps industries are taking to reduce their carbon footprint. This week, it's all about retail and fashion. To talk to me about what the industry is doing and what it could do moving forward in its attempts to go carbon neutral, I'm delighted to be joined today by Kata O'Donovan. She's the founder of Cotton Caterpillars and Ethan McNamara, who's, all, who's a, a designer uh, of uh, fashion. And you're both very welcome to the programme. Um, Aoife, we might start with you, if we would. Will you tell us a little bit about yourself and indeed about your business? Yeah, so my name is Aoife McNamara and I'm the founder and CEO of Aoife McNamara Women's Wear. Uh, we focus on sustainability through design, creating women's wear clothing, focusing on using materials uh, made in Ireland, such as Irish wools and Irish linens. We were founded in 2019 and we have just opened our first um, store in Adair Village in beautiful Limerick. Um, and yeah, I'm excited okay. to be here. Thanks for having me. No, that's great. And I, and I think I might know your, your your retail outlet. It's one of those beautiful thatched cottages on the main street in Adair. Is that correct? It is indeed. <laughs> yeah. What a lovely place to trade out of. I know. It, it's definitely the dream. Um, I love it here. So it's great. All right. We'll stay with us, Aoife. We'll, we'll bring in our second guest, uh, Kata O'Donovan, the founder of Cotton Caterpillars. Kata, you're very welcome to the programme. Thank you. Now, you're originally, Hunga- so, uh, you're originally Hungarian, I believe, yes. and you found your way uh, to the beautiful West Cork. Is that right? I did, yes. I came from Hungary. I arrived to Ireland in 2006, so a long, long time ago. Okay. And what um, what, what attracted you to Ireland, Kata? Uh, I came here for a week um, during the summertime in 2006, and that was the most hottest week ever. And I said to myself, I, I, I go back and I pack up my, uh, my job and, and leave my job and pack everything and come back again. And I arrived three months later and it was slashing rain for weeks. <laughs> so so you, you were lulled into a, a false sense of what Ireland is really like. Yes. But <clears throat> what, what, what surprised me is how kind the people were and how kind they are, you know. Yeah. Just walking down the street and, and, and the generosity and the kindness, it's, it's wowed me. Okay. Really. Now, you have a very interesting background, I think, uh, you, you originally wanted to be a hairdresser. Uh, you yes. worked in a police academy in Hungary and you yeah. also worked in the, in the dental, dental, industry, dental yeah. uh, technician business. So that's, yes. that's a long way from fashion. So how did I you know. morph into a fashion business? Or tell us a little bit about the evolution of cotton caterpillars. Well, the idea of making uh, comfortable and funky kids' clothes originated from the difficulty of finding such clothing in the high street store for my baby who was born in 2013. So the inspiration behind the brand comes from my two gorgeous kids, Dara and Doshin. And Dara suffered with a bad eczema when he was a baby. And it was extremely hard to find clothes that didn't irritate him. Right. So then I decided to make clothes for him. And I used organic uh, materials. Okay. That are printed with uh, with uh, low impact dyes, and I felt that was safer for him. So his eczema cleared within six seven months. Wow. 
So this was this business really evolved out of a need for your own uh, child and a difficulty that he was having with a skin condition, and you took it from yeah. there. Then you you decided that you'd found something that worked for you, and maybe you'd bring it to a wider marketplace. Yes, we attended lots of, you know, babies and mothers group back then. And um, they were asking me, oh, where's his clothes come from? He looks comfortable crawling in his clothes and he looks nice. And, you know, so I was talking to moms. And then when I when I, um, I realized that I wasn't the only one to, to go having through these uh, difficulties, I decided to sell uh, or make clothes for, for uh, sale. Okay. Well, look, so we'll... then Cotton Caterpillars was born. All right. Well, we'll talk a little bit more about that in a second. I'll just bring back, go back to Aoife for a moment. Uh, Aoife, you say that your, uh, while your clothes are youthful and contemporary, uh, that you also like to have tradition in your fabrics. Tell us a little bit more about just, I suppose, the the depth of feeling behind your product range. Yeah, so I suppose where the tradition comes in, we work with the local wool mill, John Hani Wool Mills. I've worked with him since day one um, on collaborating my own, collaborating and making my own Irish wool. So um, I'd work with him every season on creating different colours, different patterns. So I like to keep all my production local. So we make it, make everything in Ireland, um, a lot of stuff in Adair Village. Um, and we also work with local uh, wool mills like that. But for me, I suppose, there's always a story behind every season. You know, I think a big thing for me and my brand is being able to educate our consumers um, and our customers on what we're doing. Um, but I think, you know, what comes with what comes with my brand for me is the education side, but I think it's so important. And that's sort of the tradition. And we always want to be able to tell the story behind the garment and educate them on the sustainability of the garment. Um, so for me, you know, there's so much to a garment uh, more so than just selling a piece of clothing for me it has the story it has the tradition yeah um the locally made element as well and do you think people are moving to a place Aoife where they're actually prepared to pay for sustainability like you know we were talking earlier uh, to Aja Barber there and and talking about you know if something if a, if a dress costs five euro that surely you know, the people who made that dress aren't being paid a reasonable wage. Um, but are people prepared to pay, uh, you know, for sustainability? Yes, 100%. I think it's a journey that, you know, the, the consumer has to take. It's all about, you know, creating that con- conscious consumer. But with that comes education. So I suppose, like, the consumer has to be willing to ask the questions, you know, why is the top five euro? You know, it can't be made for that price. And, you know, with that, it's all about knowledge and knowledge is power. So I think it, there's definitely a journey that consumers have to go on to get to the space of becoming a conscious consumer. But I think a lot of people are starting to understand, okay, a top can cost five euro, you know, where is it made? Um, and hopefully people will start asking these questions, you know, and then looking local and seeing what they can support. And I think it has been a huge thing, the rise of the conscious consumer within the past two years. People are starting to understand, OK, I want to support local. I want to support Irish. Where are they? Um, and it's huge. Yeah, I think it's a journey. Um, it's not going to happen overnight and it's yeah. going to be a long process. But I suppose with what we're both doing here is we're educating our consumers and that's I suppose the biggest thing, knowledge is power and knowing, you know, to ask those questions and knowing where stuff is made um, for the consumer is most important. Yeah, 
Yeah, no, no, very, very well said. Uh, back to you, Kata. If it, can you tell me a little bit about the process that goes into making your garments? Do you make them yourself? Yes, Cotton Caterpillars is uh, based in Cork, uh, Clannacilty, and we make everything okay. from, from scratch. So our um, our business module is made to order. So when a customer comes and order online, it's usually a time frame before uh, her order ready. Right. To I- reduce the waste, I don't... Um, I went down with that route because it felt more sustainable for me. So you don't hold stock. So you 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 basically. Um, I do um, very little for the photo shoot we do or 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 a video video we we shoot, and um, preparing for the Christmas time. I do make some stock, right. but uh, very limited okay. because I need to tell them and they can know that they can come to me and order it, and then they will have the right size. Because, you know, it's hard to know what size and what stock to bring these sure. craft markets or Christmas markets. Sure. Tell us a little bit about the process of making the garment, how that actually works. So I buy the um, organic material from the EU. Right. And then I design and I cut out everything here in my studio and then I make every piece of items. Wow. So it's a one woman operated business at the moment. Hopefully we'll expand soon. And how long but, does it take uh, you, Kata? How long does it take you to put together uh, one of one of your one of your products? If you, if if you do everything yourself, it depends um, because I do uh, um, baby clothes up, uh, different baby clothes, and my range goes up to age fourteen. Right. So some pieces are takes me a couple of hours. Some pieces takes me a couple of days. Right. Okay. It depends, but I make sure that everything uh, is uh, is nice and neatly made, and I pay a lot of attention to details yeah. as well. And then, what about the packaging and all that end of things? Once the garments are made, what 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 happens next? Well, um, I I use um, eco friendly tissue papers like brown unbleached tissue papers because I think it's it's very important for us to use materials that can be recycled easily. And I, I I pack them and I post them in envelopes that are made out of post-consumer waste by the car company. So mm. I get all my packaging from the car company. And with a little cards and a little handwritten note on the way to the customer. Right, right. Um, now we're talking about sustainability in, in, in fashion and retail here. My guests are Cato O'Donovan, the founder of Cotton Caterpillars, and Aoife McNamara, who's a fashion designer. Back to you, Aoife. Um, do you think that there's a lot of greenwashing out there in the uh, fashion business around people not really having a credible story, but trying to play a, 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 a sustainability uh, card, if you know what I mean? Yeah, I know what you mean. And it's a very hard question because I would never bash a brand for trying to be sustainable. Right. But I 100% agree that there's definitely brands that are maybe just making one garment. 1% of their business might be a recycled top um, and then 99% of their business will be, you know, mass production. 
Um, so I think there's definitely, you know, a lot of greenwashing out there at the moment because I suppose it's it's nearly a buzzword at the moment, the word sustainable, isn't it? And, yeah. you know, people like to see it because they want to support that. But I think some brands are using it for greenwashing, but I would never bash a brand for trying to be sustainable. Um, but I think it's back to the consumer and, you know, being curious and you know the brand can do so much but you have to be you have to be the person to ask the questions and be like okay and what you know where is the production made and if it's one recycled top and what is the rest of your production looking like so it is back to the consumer again and you know asking those questions and you making your own right decision um whether the brand is greenwashing or if they're being true to the true to themselves so i would bring it back to the consumer can i ask you as well Aoife, about your views on maybe reusing and re I suppose upcycling or in other words that 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 when a garment is produced that maybe you know that we'd look at different ways that it could be used either by more people or for longer what are your thoughts on that I think it's a brilliant um it's back to like circularity so one thing that we want to do um hopefully not yet because we're only two years in business but maybe down the line is take back garments and reuse them like you're saying so make um say if it's our irish wool collection maybe we can reuse it to make pillows but there's huge innovation happening at the moment with recycled materials um so a lot of brands are bringing out recycled lines that you can buy recycled material materials but i think it is an amazing thing to to have that circularity in a brand and to be able to take back your garments and recycle them. I think upcycling and recycling, you know, obviously it's a small production. You're not going to get a huge, you're not going to be able to put one top online and be like, I am going to sell loads of these because every piece will be unique. And I think there's something special about that as well. Yeah. Um, so it's definitely something I want to look into further. But circularity um, is one of our long-term sustainability goals yeah. with the brand. Oh, I, I totally agree with you. Back back to you, Kata. Um, if you want to scale and develop your business, do you, do you think that you might have to, I won't say dilute, but do you think you know you might be challenged with looking at your sustainability credentials as they are now? But if you want to grow the business and say increase production, um, do you think you may have to compromise on the ethos, that lovely ethos that you have now, where you're making everything yourself and you're right on top of everything. What are your thoughts on that? Well, I hope I won't. What my plan is for the future, when the time comes for me to expand, I would like to um, have um, a unit here in Clonakilty and employ at least two other uh, dressmakers. And then I work with them. Yeah. I don't feel like I can uh, go and um, stand behind my brand if, for example, I outsource everything in um, a different country. Yeah. That was that was put up for me. Uh, that idea was given to me by by someone who tried to invest money into my business, but I I turned it down because I can't stand over something that are not handmade in Ireland. Yeah. I so think that, I'm okay with, with being smaller, <clears throat> but I it's a, it's important for us to everything uh, be made in Ireland. Yeah. So you've decided that you want to grow the business, yes. surely, but you want to grow it in a way that protects your credentials, that that protects your values and and your beliefs. And I think that's yes. very admirable. 
things. Yeah. yeah, we try, we try that. Um, Eva, just maybe just to just to, just to finish off, uh, where's the market going here around? If we look at high end fashion and we look at the sustainability credentials, where do you see the marketplace going? I'm hoping um, it'll be a 100% sustainable future for the fashion industry. We have huge leaders like Patagonia, Stella McCartney, who we can look to for huge inspiration. So I'm hope like, no, I know that the fashion industry, it will make a turn, but I know it's just, it's going to take longer. Obviously, sustainable products are more expensive. Um, and, you know, the price point, hopefully, if if more people get involved, the price points will start to drop because they'll be able to produce more sustainable materials and more people will be buying them. So it's a whole collective, yeah. you know, it's the power of their, your pocket. You know, you're, you're sort of what you're buying, you're voting for what you believe in. So I believe if everyone makes the change collectively, that's when, you know, the price of sustainable materials will hopefully not be as expensive and more people can afford them because I know not everyone can afford sustainable products. They're expensive. So I'm hoping... Um, that we are looking at a sustainable fashion future. And like that, even just touching, um, I admire um, Cathy for what she's doing. A one woman show is hard and I was there. Um, but I told, I'm the exact same, 100% made in Ireland is something I so strongly believe in, but it's so hard. Like yeah. there's, there's no production in Ireland. Like even I'm wanting to scale at the moment and you know, it's impossible to do it in Ireland. It really is. and. The production costs and everything it's really hard so i'm hoping that one day like that we can you know bring in more production in ireland um so and i really think there'll be a huge community there i think it's growing at the moment but i'm the i'm totally with her here 100 percent made in ireland is what okay I well well listen you're both great ambassadors uh for the fashion industry and i want to thank you both uh, for joining us this morning that's Cato donovan the founder of uh cotton caterpillars down there in tanakilty and also from the lovely Adair, Eva McNamara, fashion designer. And thank you both for joining us, ladies. And we wish you well on your sustainable journey. Up next, Aja Barber, author, writer and fashion consultant, will be talking to us from the UK. Project Green with Bobby Kerr. With thanks to ESB Networks. Connecting you to a clean electric future. ESBnetworks.ie now, I'm delighted to be joined by Aja Barber. She's an author, a writer and fashion consultant based out of the UK. Good morning to you, Aja. How are you? Good morning. Thank you for having me. Uh, no, great to talk to you. And I, I think you're a fascinating personality, as our listeners are going to find out now, because in your book, Consumed, you said the future looks both bright and bleak for fast fashion. Can you tell me what you meant by that? I think it's bright for the possibilities of what the fashion industry could be. I think it's bleak for fast fashion because I don't think that there is a future where we actually have a sustainable fashion world where fast fashion can exist. It can't keep going at this speed. So, you know, for some of the brands that are not interested in changing the cycles that they run their business on, which is, you know, fast fast production, which is a danger to the people making the product and a danger to the environment and fast consumption. And let's be honest, that's how a lot of brands turn a very quick profit. It's bleak for them because that's going away. But I think the possibilities of what we could have in the fashion industry, that's bright. And I get excited about that. Yeah. And do you, 
like if you look, if you stand back from all this, Asia, and you you sort of do the maths on it, if you buy a dress for five euro or five pounds, you know, you, you, you it can't. The person who made that dress can't have been paid a decent wage. Is that just no. not a fact? Yeah, that's very that that is a fact. It is a fact that has sort of been shifted to the side. I don't think that brands have ever really wanted to address that. And I think that we've had to ignore that, right? Like um, there's a minimum wage. I'm, I'm in the UK and I'm from the US and there's a minimum wage in Ireland that people would like to get for their labor. Uh, I, I always tell people, try and make a dress yourself and see if you could do it within an hour, which is a fraction of what the minimum wage should be. If you can do it within an hour, then great. But I think most people will find that making clothing is labor intensive, very, very complicated. And that was what I found for myself when I was um, a fast fashion consumer. I always found myself asking, how could they possibly do it this cheap? And the truth is it's that cheap because it's exploitative. That's really, there is no other way around that fact. And it makes us all uncomfortable, but it's time for all of us to understand the truth and start thinking about a different way of, of doing things. And do you think the consumer is now heading to a place, I would suggest that, that they're not there yet, but heading to a place where they actually now actually care about that, 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 that there's a groundswell of a movement now that says, look, I don't really want to wear that dress if the person who made it isn't being paid properly or, or working in horrendous conditions. Yeah, totally. I think we're getting more consumer awareness and citizen awareness. The thing is, I think under the pandemic, people went in one of two directions. We got more polarized. So the person that was already feeling a little bit uncomfortable with some of these facts that I'm presenting they took a breather during the lockdowns and said, you know what, I, I don't need to be shopping like this. And if they were anything like me, what they found was during the winter time, there were weeks where I would wear two outfits and just alternate them. And I found myself looking at my wardrobe and I'm somebody who is, you know, an expert in the field and thinking, gosh, I still have too much clothing. I cannot believe I have this much clothing. And then there were people that weren't thinking about these systems at all. And then during the pandemic, I think because of the fear of not having, you know, the things that we're used to having, people really sort of went hard into consumerism. And thus we see the, uh, the success of Xi'an, which is a deeply exploitative business. So we got more polarized, but I have hope. I really do. And you know, not to get really depressing, but the truth of the matter is like the majority of fashion textiles that are used within the fashion industry, particularly mainstream fashion, are polyfibers. A lot of people don't understand that polyfibers are plastic. They come from fossil fuels. At the speed at which the planet is burning through resources, we're going to run out of polyfibers pretty soon. So right. it's not going to be possible for a lot of the big fast fashion brands to produce at the rate in the ways in which they do. So whether or not we want this system to change, it's going to change. It's not going to be like this forever. And that, that, that gives you a certain optimism, does it? Well, it doesn't really, <clears throat> I, I would like for the system to change before we reach hellfire brimstone and running out of natural resources. That would be great which is why I try and 
educate people on my platform and be like, look, you know, let's come up with a different way. It's better to sort of be prepared and to come away from the system before the system really collapses. You know what I mean? I do. Yeah, absolutely. I do. Tell us a little bit about yourself, Aja. How did you get into this world of sustainable fashion and, you know, maybe making a very direct and very maybe a lot of putting a lot of stuff out there that maybe certain quarters are very uncomfortable with? How did you how did you land, end up in that place? Yeah. So, you know, I was I, I try not to sit from a perch of like, oh, I'm better than other people because I don't buy fast fashion anymore because that is just everybody has bought fast fashion, literally everyone. That has been what's been on offer for a very long amount of time with very few alternatives. Now we're starting to have more alternatives, but I try and remind people like, look, we've all bought it. It's time to understand what's behind it. And it's time to maybe slow down and start making different decisions, especially if you can. There's going to be people where this is their only option, okay? Um, And I'm never going to tell that person, like, you need to only buy ethical, sustainable clothing. But I think for a lot of people who are buying within the system, who sustain the system, that's who needs to change. You know, the average fast fashion consumer in the U.S. buys 68 items of clothing a year. Okay, U.S. is the second largest consumer of fast fashion. Um, Who's the first? China, but but let's hear the numbers here, okay? China is only the first because of their population. Per head, per person, the U.S. is killing it. You know what I mean? So China has a very large population. So put that into perspective there. When it comes to who's doing the damage, the calls are coming from from within my house as someone who grew up in the States. And so... Uh, The UK, however, is the largest consumer of fast fashion in, you know, Europe. So put that into perspective, too. I live in London. So I feel like these are my people. I have to be talking to this audience because it would seem that the damage is being made in these two areas. Um, But I used to buy fast fashion. I used to have all of these questions about it. There was something about it that made me feel deeply uncomfortable. And maybe it was my own consumption and the fact that I was, you know, speeding up my buying because of social media or whatever reasons. But as someone who is a little bit older on Instagram, it's kind of good to have that age because I can remember a time period before we shopped this way. And I think that when people look at the system, it can be really overwhelming if you don't remember that we didn't always have a system that ran like this. And so I was always questioning these systems. And on the other hand, I was also writing and talking about social inequalities like uh, racism and feminism. And I was talking about those issues in column A, and then I was writing about fashion in column B, but when I took a really critical lens to the fashion industry, what I realized is that all of those issues in column A really apply to column B, so let's look at them together. And that's kind of the basis of my book, Consumed, and and how I get people to really understand where these issues are. Additionally, when I was... um, living in Virginia, there was a summer where I volunteered at a charity shop. And I had known for years that everyone around me was burning through clothing really quickly. And 
there was something deep down inside that told me this cannot possibly be a good thing. So the time period when I volunteered at that charity shop, all of my fears became actualized because I was sorting through bin bags of clothing piled to the ceiling. And I would work my hardest to get through all of the bin bags. And I knew that the charity shop that I was at was only selling about 10% (coughs) of those donations. And uh, I would work really hard to get through everything in a day. And I would come back and it would be like all the clothing was replenished. It was actually, it made me feel very unwell. And that was when I began to realize this is an ecological crisis. And I didn't know where the clothing was going, but once I learned about Cansmonto Market, last week we learned about the Atacuma Desert in Chile. Tell us about that. Yeah, so Cansmonto Market is um, arguably the world's largest secondhand retailer. It is located in Akragana, and Cansmonto Market is not geographically large, but the turnover of clothing that is received you know, from this donation-based system is huge. Cansmonto Market receives 15 million items of clothing every single week. And the population of Ghana isn't big enough to, you know, consume all of that clothing. And so what's happened is 40% of the clothing there gets sold. The other 60% has become an ecological crisis. It has filled up the local municipal dump in Accra years in advance okay so that means that now the government is having to deal with this donation system uh clothing washes up on the beach in Accra it um looks like huge octopus tentacles of clothes because that clothing gets dumped it ends up in neighborhoods it ends up polluting the water system it has really caused crisis in that part of the world and it's unfair but that is what's happening to the vast majority of our charity donations. Additionally, in Chile, um, we saw on all sorts of news sites that fast fashion waste is ending up in the desert there. The desert in Chile is one of the world's driest deserts. It's a valuable part of our ecosystem and we're ruining it with disposable clothing. The donations come in. Once again, it's such a large amount of donations that no one has use for that clothing. And additionally, a lot of the quality of our clothing has drastically slipped in the last 20 years. So if we know that the garments that we're buying sometimes end up being one-time use clothing, there is literally no one in the global South that wants it either. It's trash, but we end up donating it. It gets exported and it just becomes a disaster there. So you have this beautiful desert that is covered in fast fashion waste. Oh, it's grim. That's it's grim. grim. And, and we talk about, you know, saving the planet, but if the planet is a delicate ecosystem, and it is, it needs all moving parts from desert to rainforest to sort of balance <clears throat> out this, this beautiful world that we live in, we're trashing it with microfiber clothing. So that's the other side of it. And when we talk about the race element of all of this, you know, most of our consumer goods are produced in countries in the global south uh, by non-white people. And most of these sites that end up getting our fast fashion waste that no one essentially wants are countries in the global south where non-white people live. So from start to finish, it is a system 
that is pretty much looped to harm marginalized people and to harm, you know, vulnerable places on our planet. And that's what we call like a colonial waste dump, basically. It's an area where it's sort of out of sight, out of mind, because I think that if all of this clothing waste and there was no system of export ended up in our backyards and in our neighborhoods, we would all radically change how we participate in this system. A dress wouldn't be considered a frivolous purchase. It would be considered, are you going to wear this or is this going to end up on you know, the beach or at the National Trust site that I visited last week. But that's what's happening in the global south. So it's important to be aware of that because, you know, nobody likes pollution, whether it's somebody else's backyard or our own. It's it's not good. Is is there is there a real ignorance around that? If I bring clothes to the charity shop, how many people do you think realize what happens to those clothes? Uh, just on the basis of what you told us there now. Some of that information um, would I, be new to me. Yeah, I think very few people really understand it, which is why I wrote about it and consumed. I think it needs to become a mainstream message. And I do think that this attitude that somebody in another country is going to use a product that is really not in great shape from you I think we need to investigate that because it's the same attitude where people hear about um, slave labor wages and go, well, you know what? At least it's a job. Really? I, I would argue that when I hear about a job that no one else wants to do, and I know that I wouldn't want to do, that is not the argument or the approach that we should be taking. Yeah. And we certainly shouldn't use it to prop up systems which exploit people. Yeah. There's no sense in propping up a sandcastle made of dung, you know, but that's what a lot of these cycles look like. And, you know, I, I think I, not to take it really dark, but people say a job is better than no job. But if we remember outside of the Apple factory, I think it was Foxcom in China, they installed nets because a lot of the workers were jumping from the top of the building. Oh dear. Uh, so uh, if we mm. say some job is better than no job, I would argue that, I don't know, there might be some factory workers somewhere that would disagree with you. Okay. Can I ask you about um, added value? Like when you look at maybe at the other end of the market, the higher end of the fashion market, mm -hmm. are, are people prepared to pay for sustainability? As in if something is genuinely- That's the problem. Yeah, that's the problem. That's the pro that's the biggest problem we bump up against. People want sustainability, but they're not. Fast fashion has really changed our general idea of what fashion should cost. That's really it. And I I try and remind people that that is a part of it. It's the future that I think that we we should live in is one where yeah we're gonna pay a little bit more money for our clothing but we're not going to be tempted to buy 68 items of clothing a year. So when I was buying a lot of fast fashion, I think I was buying from a place of lack. I was living in and out of my parents' basement. The job market was crap. And then I was spending whatever disposable income I had on clothing, which didn't make me feel better, but sort of told me, oh, if you buy this, you'll feel better about the fact that like, employment hasn't been great for you this year and it's just not true and so I think it's time to really investigate like 
how much we're buying, why are we buying? Because as someone who, you know, from this position of, you know, not having a very high income, I remember saying like, oh, I, I can't afford to buy better. And this is why I buy fast fashion. But there was one year where I held on to all of my receipts from just like one store in particular. And I'm not that organized. It's just happenstance. I came across them. And when I added up all of those receipts, what I found was that I had given a significant portion of my really tiny income to one store in particular. And there was some clothing that I didn't even have after a year. And that made me feel really uncomfortable. Okay. And I remember thinking, I've got to stop this. Like there's this clothing is one time use clothing. It's not making me happy. And that was when I kind of started to go, okay, you know what? I'm going to spend a little bit more money and I'm going to buy fewer things and I'm going to see how that feels. And I kind of never looked back. Like it's a better way to live my life. And I find I have a wardrobe I'm happier with. I wear it for a longer time and I don't feel the temptation anymore of having to have a new item because there's new trends being pushed at me every day. Well, you have a fascinating angle, Aja, on a fascinating subject. And I thank you for your wisdom. And indeed, really, really enjoyed hearing your story and hearing your views about thank you. what is a pretty, what well, certainly aspects of this business are, are pretty horrible. So Aja Barber, author of Consume uh, and fashion consultant based in the UK thank, and American even. Thanks for joining us. <laughs> thank you. Thank you for having me. Now, a huge thanks to all my guests on this episode of Project Green. Make sure to subscribe at Newstalk.com or through the Newstalk app, powered by GoLoud. Take care and thanks for listening. Project Green with Bobby Kerr. With thanks to ESB Networks. National Network Local Connections Programme consultations now open. Get involved. ESBnetworks.ie